Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. Well, good morning, Awaken Church. It is awesome to be here. Thank you guys for uh, joining us online as well. It's fun to see uh, so many people uh, who have decided to come and join us in person. So uh, we need to continue being in prayer for uh, people, especially on the front lines who are feeling uh, definitely like they have to be you know, super careful about gathering together in groups. So i uh, just be praying for those guys that I have been hearing from some of them uh, just about how much they want to be here with us. And so uh, we'll eventually reconnect with, with everybody in person. So I know it's the Happy New Year, but do you know that we are still in Christmas? That's right. Today is the 10th day of Christmas. And what did your true love bring to you on the 10th day of Christmas? I didn't check it out. I don't know the song that well. Any guesses? It's not turtle doves. I know that. Ten lords a-leaping? Ten lords a-leaping? All right. Well, so... That song has nothing to do with why it's actually the 10th day of Christmas. Uh, Christmas tides this time when the church stands in awe over the fact that God became flesh. Uh, it is this time where we are absolutely amazed at the fact that God is so concerned about us that so much of his story includes our story. And that he became flesh and that for eternity he will dwell in flesh. Just like you and I. On, you know, for our sake, on our behalf. What an incredible, astonishing thing. And so uh, that is what Christmas is about. We only have two days left, so if you haven't celebrated yet, you better get on it. All right, well, we are going to start going through the book of... Ezra. Now, you may not be excited at this moment, but during the sermon, as you grow in excitement, you can just shout out, more Ezra, more Ezra, okay? So just keep that in mind. I know some of you love to participate in that way, so I'm giving you something to say. All right. Ezra is tucked in between the very exciting book of Second Chronicles and the book of Nehemiah. This is in the Old Testament, and this is part of the story where the nation of Israel is exiled to Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar, if you've ever heard of him, captured Israel, takes 
Um, most of the folks back with him to serve as slaves and in some rare cases in government positions in the kingdom of Babylon. And then at some point, uh, the Jewish people are allowed to return. And we're going to see that story kind of unfold. We're going to see a little part of it. It has a lot to do, actually, with our scenario that we've just experienced for the last year. And I'm guessing it probably has a lot to do with things that you have experienced in your life. Maybe something that you are experiencing right now where things really aren't going the way that you would lay them out. Like if you were the storyteller telling your own story, you would probably have the plot go differently. You would probably be more successful. You would probably be more of the hero. You would probably have things go more smoothly for you. Well, I think this book has a lot for us. And so uh, we're going to get into it here in just a minute, but I'm going to start with a little bit of just background not necessarily historical background, although we'll do a little bit of that, but I want to start with a background concept, Psalm 66, and verses 5 through 7. David makes, makes this extraordinary claim about God. He says, come and see what our God has done, what awesome miracles he performs for people. He made a dry path through the Red Sea, and his people went across on foot. There we rejoiced in him, for by his great power he rules forever. He watches every movement of the nations. Let no rebel rise in defiance. So David is making some claims as he's writing this verse of poetry. He is claiming that God is always sovereign all the time, that he's watching over all of the national movements of all of the nations on earth, and that they are all going according to his plan. And that if a nation tries to rebel against his plan, well, that nation will not be successful. That's quite an extraordinary claim, don't you think? We find that claim quite a few places in the scriptures. And we believe this as Christians, that God is actually the superintendent over all of the events that happen, not only internationally, nationally, but also in our own personal lives, that God is watching over us, that God is guiding things in just the way that he wants them to go, that his purposes will always prevail, regardless of what we do. Not that we're not autonomous, but that he is so good that with, within the context of us being autonomous, he continues to, to navigate his purposes through all of that and in all of that. And he is moving and working in each one of us. He is moving and working in each nation. He is sovereign over all of those things. And he is watching carefully to see what will happen. And he is directing intricately the things 
that do happen. And so COVID, the election, God is watching over all of these things. It's confusing sometimes to understand that God is the one behind the scenes, balancing perfectly the the tension between the free will of man and the fulfillment of his purpose. But we believe that that is, in fact, the case. So I'm going to give you an example that goes with this story, uh, but you might be thinking about your own life and some of the things that you have gone through. And you might consider the fact that God has been the one behind the scenes, that God has a purpose in taking you through or allowing you to go through each of those situations in your own lives. So in Jeremiah chapter 25, Verses 11 and 12. Uh, Jeremiah is um, he's a prophet, and he is predicting the downfall of Jerusalem. He's a Jewish guy himself, and he is predicting the downfall of Jerusalem. So uh, Jeremiah was not a popular prophet because he was saying the thing that nobody wanted to hear, but the thing that God was saying. And so in his prediction, there's this very interesting, very specific thing that he says. He says, this entire land will become a desolate wasteland. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Then, After the 70 years of captivity are over, I will punish the king of Babylon and his people for their sins, says the Lord. I will make the country of the Babylonians a wasteland forever. Uh, This is kind of just interesting on the level that God is using one nation to punish another nation for its sins. And then he is using another nation to punish that nation for its sins. Um, But that's a different discussion. That's not really what we're going for this morning. What I want to point out is the fact that Jeremiah has named this 70-year period well in advance of the exile even happening, well in advance of Babylon even being a military threat to Judah, to the southern tribes. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar has just taken control in Babylon. He hasn't even assembled a military might yet. He hasn't even taken control over his own regional area. He's got a long ways to go before he attacks Judah. Yet Jeremiah says, for 70 years, Israel will be taken away and put into captivity. Uh, That's why we still read Jeremiah as a prophet, because he was correct. Um, In Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 28, 
Isaiah 150 years previous to a king named Cyrus who we're going to read about here in just a minute. 150 years previous to that explained to the people of Israel that after they go into this period of exile, after there is this period of suffering and God's wrath really being poured out on them, after this period of them experiencing the worst, losing their national identity, losing their capital, losing their center of worship, losing everything they had, losing their belongings, losing so many things, everything, being taken into slavery, after all of that, there was going to be a ruler named Cyrus who was going to restore them or be a significant part of the restoration of Israel, 150 years in advance. Now, in order for this prophecy to be fulfilled without just sheer superintendence from God, some high up person in the Persian Empire, really before it was the Persian Empire, would needed to have named their child Cyrus. And then that child would have had to sort of miraculously work their way up to the top seat in the Persian Empire and overthrow the Babylonians. That would be a difficult thing to orchestrate. Unless, of course, you're the God of heaven and nothing is impossible for you and you are all-knowing. In... Uh, 1953, uh, President Harry Truman, after uh, leaving the office of the presidency, was invited to uh, the uh, Jewish Theological Seminary in New York City to be given an award for his uh, part in restoring what is now, today, Israel. And he is famous for, after having been introduced as the man who helped Israel be restored, he is famous for having said to the person that he was with, helped? Don't they know? I'm Cyrus. Harry Truman grew up with a biblical background, not because he went to seminary, but because those days in high school, you took a Bible class when he went to high school. And he understood the stories of the Old Testament, and he understood that God used Gentile rulers in the past to restore the nation of Israel. And he understood that one day in the future, his future, that God would appoint another Gentile ruler to restore the nation of Israel. And Truman was convinced, at least, that he was the modern day version of King Cyrus. Second Chronicles chapter 36, which is the last chapter, 
in the last few verses. And now really we are getting to the book of Ezra. Many people believe that Ezra, a learned scribe, actually wrote 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. The first person accounts in Nehemiah would be Ezra pulling from Nehemiah's diary, so to speak, his memoirs. And so you'll see the connection as I read uh, the last of 2 Chronicles and the first of Ezra. The last few verses of 2 Chronicles say, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are the Lord's people may go there for this task, and may the Lord your God be with you. This is really an incredible moment. Cyrus was not a Christian, because Christians didn't exist at this point. Cyrus was not a Jewish person. Cyrus wasn't raised Jewish. He didn't have Bible classes. He didn't seem to know anything culturally about the God of the Old Testament. But somehow, God communicated to him these very specific things. Pretty extraordinary to consider how God can reach anybody at any time to advance any of his purposes that he wishes. Ezra 1 and starting in verse 1. This is going to sound very familiar. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and send it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem, and may your God be with you. Sounds familiar, right? It's an exact quote. That's why. But there's more. And this is what Ezra is doing, is connecting these two books and saying, oh, you thought that was awesome. Oh, there's something more. Watch this. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of the God in Jerusalem. So you might not get very excited about that, just reading it, but just give me a minute. Remember when at the Exodus where God is delivering the people from Egypt? Remember that they don't just get released from slavery, but as they're going, the people of Egypt because of what God has done in their hearts through all of the plagues and all of that work, they lavish their favor on the Jewish people as they leave Egypt. They 
go into their treasure rooms and they start just giving the people of Israel treasures. They start giving them wealth. And so the Israelites don't just get their freedom, they get their freedom and a lot of Egypt's wealth they take with them. And this is just an extraordinary part of the story that reveals to us how God operates when he moves, when he delivers. He doesn't just do it on a small scale. He does it in awesome and abundant ways to make it exceedingly clear that he is the one on the move. He is the one behind this. I mean, who else could get the most powerful man in the world to say, God is leading me to glorify and honor him in this most public of ways. And everybody in my kingdom, I want you to follow suit. I want you to get on board with this. And they do. Who else could do something so extraordinary? In this proclamation, Cyrus has to explain where this is gonna happen. Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Everybody's forgotten about Jerusalem because it has been demolished, temple destroyed, walls torn down. It is like an archaeological dig site at best at this point. He has to remind people where Jerusalem is. Do you remember that? In Judah, there used to be one of the seven great wonders of the world standing there. Remember that? About 70 years ago? It's time to rebuild it. So, here are some lessons for us to move forward with, to think about in our own lives, to think about, um, you know, as we've come out of last year, we're all hoping for an incredible new year. Uh, first is God advances his purposes regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of the circumstances you are in, regardless of our political scenario, locally, nationally, regardless of what is going on in our lives relationally, God is advancing his purposes. He is forming you and I in just a perfect way, right? The promise of scripture is that if God begins a good work in us, he is faithful to complete it. The promise of scripture is that God is working within us to develop the desire to do the things that please and honor him. God's purposes are prevailing, regardless of the circumstances around us. God's promises are always kept. He is watching over the nations. Uh, I don't know how many times I have been frustrated in my adult life at the seeming ineptitude of our leaders to get things right politically. If they would just ask me, I would tell them exactly how to do it right. They just need to ask. And I have to be reminded over and over again, no wonder they're they're inept. They're not even actually in charge. They don't, they don't have final authority. They're not actually 
in charge. God is the one who is in charge. He is the, the ultimate ruler. He's giving them a taste. He's giving them a chance. He's, he's giving them some level of authority, but he, he is the one in authority. And he is the one I'm called to trust. Every time I come up against that, I need to be reminded, oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to trust them. I'm supposed to trust in God alone. I'm supposed to trust that God at any time, in any scenario, working through any individual, working in the life of any leader, can bring people to a place where they will respond to his call, to his invitation, to his direction, to his guidance. God's plan is not to leave us in exile. God's plan is not to leave us in places of suffering and difficulty and trial. We know that God takes us through those situations, sometimes to punish us for sin. We don't like this, we don't like to talk about it, but God is a God of consequences. Remember, he is the only one who is able and who is willing to bring perfect justice. And sometimes we experience consequences, very real consequences in our lives for ways in which we've rebelled against God. And so sometimes our difficulty and our struggle is just simply about the consequence. Other times God is just forming our faith. He's saying, you can handle this. You, you need this because you need to be stronger in this area. You need to do this difficult thing. We understand this, both of these concepts, certainly as, as parents, we've all been children, so we understand this. We understand that a, a good parent does both of these things, brings consequences into the lives of their children for being self-centered, for being rebellious, or what have you. And it is the responsibility of parents to put difficult things in the lives of their children so that they're able to mature and become strong so that one day they can carry the weight of responsibility. But it is not God's purpose, it is not his heart to leave us there, to always have us in places of suffering and trial and struggle and slavery and exile, of broken relationships, of tragedy. It's not God's heart to leave us there. The story is always God bringing us through those things to a wonderful place, to a promised land, to a place of celebration, to a place of abundant life. This is the promise of God. This is the heart of God. I, I love to plan things. Uh, if you watch me function in life, you might critique me and say, hey, you didn't plan that out very well. But generally speaking, if I had all of my preferences, I like to dial things in and plan them out far in advance, and I like to be well prepared when they come. And so 
my, I was just thinking about what was the most frustrating thing for me this year. And it's just that every plan I made, almost every plan I made got changed because of different whatever going on around me. I would make plans and they would change. And over and over and over and over again, I had to learn the lesson this year that I am not the man in charge. You see, up until now, I've been totally in charge. (laughs) That ended when I got married, but um, I have been reminded to have a different perspective on planning. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of passages just in case you might be similar to me. Um, James chapter 4, and starting in verse 13. It says, look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. That's usually how my plans go. I'm going to do this, and it's going to turn out well. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. And that's really humbling. I like to think of my life as a, like a, a petrified rock. Been here for a long time, and it's going to be here for a long time. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans, and all such boasting is evil. Um, Proverbs 16 and verse 9 says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And we see that so much in our own lives. We see that in so many of the stories throughout the scriptures where we have our plans. We have our way of thinking it should go. But then God. But then God comes into the story. And we realize we're actually a part of his story. We're actually working out his plan. We're actually servants of the king. And he will give us direction. He will guide our paths. He will transform our lives in the way that he sees fit. So that's Ezra chapter one. Uh, oh, except for this part, and I won't read this, but Cyrus, I just think this is a really awesome part of the story. Cyrus goes into the archives, the treasure archives of former Babylonia, now the Persian Empire. He goes into their archives and he talks to the royal treasurer and says, hey, when we burned the temple down, uh, we took out all the gold and silver, all the fancy stuff, and it's stored in here somewhere. Go get that stuff. It's going back. And so all of the temple articles get sent back with um, some 50,000 uh, Jewish people. And as they're going out, people are giving offerings to the Lord of heaven. And so they come back well-provisioned to 
rebuild the temple. Um, Esther chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Here is a list of the Jewish exiles of the provinces who returned from their captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar had deported them to Babylon, but now they returned to Jerusalem and the other towns in Judah where they originally lived. Uh, I want to challenge you to read all of those names on your own later. <laughs> Not really. You don't have to do that. The important things for us to know is, one, there's a group of about 50,000 Jewish people going back. And so it's a significant uh, population drop on this area, which causes some conflict, which we'll get into later in the book. Uh, the other thing to remember is that uh, God always plays the long game. Uh, God, even while unleashing his wrath on the nation of Judah, and they deserved it, by the way, they were involving themselves in all kinds of pagan idolatry. They were sacrificing their children to Baal. Um, all kinds of, any kind of sexual immorality that you could think of. They were diving headlong into that. They were doing it in private, doing it in public. Um, they, they were pretty much doing everything that they could do to rebel against God. They were trying to maintain as a facade the temple sacrifice. They were... They were maintaining their religious activity, their ritual, while going out and living in these incredibly immoral ways. And so they deserved the punishment they received. God was just in bringing his wrath upon them. They looked God in the face. They looked his abundance and his provision and his protection in the face, and they spit on it in every way that they could. So they deserved the consequences that they receive. But even in the middle of God bringing his incredible and terrible wrath on them, God preserved a remnant. God preserved the people who would cry out to him, the people who would repent, the people who would have faith that he would watch over them even in the middle of these terrible consequences, even in the middle of this wrath that God would be watching over them. People who would trust that God was playing the long game. And you know what God's long game is? Uh, if you don't have this verse underlined or highlighted or memorized or saved on your phone somewhere, you should. 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 14. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. And so we get this glimpse of God's heart. We get this glimpse of God playing the long game. Oh, he knows we're going to rebel. He's not surprised. He knows 
As a good parent knows that his children are going to rebel. They're gonna say things that are hurtful. They're gonna find ways to rebel. But God's playing the long game. He's not thrown off by our rebellion or our disobedience. Instead, he's not just sweeping life away, but he is devising ways for us to be reunited. He's devising ways for us to be reconciled to him and to each other. He's devising ways for us to experience full and complete and free freedom and fellowship, even though we have rebelled and gone away from him and done things that are obviously disobedient and disrespectful. He is just finding one way after another, after another, after another for us to be reunited. The ultimate example of this, of course, is Jesus dying on the cross for us, reconciling us to him forever. Right? We know from 1 John that his sacrifice is not just for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world, for everybody, for all time. Jesus has permanently reconciled us to Christ Would we confess that he is our Lord, believe that he rose from the dead, repent of our sins, and trust him with our lives? So I encourage you this year to do just those things, to trust him fully and completely regardless of the circumstances of your life, to trust that he is working behind the scenes, developing your character, restoring you to a rightful place, bringing you back from exile, ending your suffering. Won't you trust in him and in him alone? Please join me in prayer. Father, we, we need you. We're desperate for your work in our lives to be transformed. We know that all of the things swirling around us, we know that you're not surprised by them. We know that your concern is the development of our faith. And so we pray that you would help us see what you're doing in our lives and help us see how we can join you in that work and and celebrate how you're transforming us. Father, we place our hope in you and we pray that you would help us hold fast to that hope. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If you guys would please stand. From Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, well, thank you guys. Have an incredible week, and we will see you certainly next week.
Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks. And this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.